I'm going to do another read from, uh, I don't know, I like this book, and it's really simple. It's by Frank Graham Jr. He's one of the best baseball writers ever. It's from 1969. It's called Great Hitters of the Major Leagues, and it's a, uh, it's, it's one of these books that is really, uh, that I like to read, but it's, it's very uh, elementary. You know, it's very, very elementary level. And, uh, you know, I would suggest that people people listen to this because it just takes you back on the game and uh, who the hitters were and who the great hitters were and who the bums were. And, and you know, it's just, I like reading about some. I like reading about uh, Ty Cobb, Willie Mays, all these guys that were, uh, that were, Great players in the Hall of Fame. So, you have to keep in mind that uh, Henry Aaron had not, had not eclipsed the home run record yet. So, this is, this is fun stuff. I like it. Ty Cobb is the first one. The batter, wearing the uniform of the Detroit Tigers, stood at the plate. Waiting for the ball to be pitched. His feet were spread apart early. His feet were spread apart only slightly. And he gripped the bat in a curious way. Instead of holding it near the end of, with both hands close together on the handle, he slid his left foot up the, to, up the bat. He flipped his left hand up the bat so that it was four inches above his right hand. A baseball fan who had never watched Ty Cobb at bat before might have thought he was getting ready to bunt. But then the pitch came in and Cobb swung hard, hitting the ball solidly off the right field wall. Before the right fielder could return the ball to the infield, Cobb was on second base with a double. Detroit fans cheered their hero, but they did not relax. Though Cobb was the greatest hitter in baseball, the excitement did not die down once he had gotten his third base hit, for he was also the most exciting base runner in the game. No one knew quite what he would do next. The Tigers were playing the New York Highlanders. This was the New York Yankees before. New York Highlanders were the New York Yankees. And the, uh, this particular game took place several years before the outbreak of World War I. Cobb took his lead off second base. New York pitcher threw to the plate. At the crack of the bat, Cobb set out for third base. The New York first baseman fielded the ball, stepped on the base to put out the batter, then fired the ball over to third base. But Cobb, who had rounded third, Kept on running for home. When the third baseman took the throw and looked for a run, runner to tag, Cobb already was across the plate with a run for the Tigers. It all happened in a flash, or at it. Let Ty Cobb, the greatest ball player of his time, tell exactly what had taken place on the field. The play was something I just made up on the spur, spur of the moment. Cops said afterward, New York's first baseman, Hal Chase, one of the smartest defensive players there ever was, 
if you were on second base and a ball was hit to the infield, the throw was the third base, the first base. But you had to watch out when you got to third, because if you if you rounded the base by just his this much, Chase would have the ball over there and you were dead before you could get back. Knowing that, I practiced on on him. I'd round the bag and dive back. Always just ahead of the throw. I was just ahead of the ball. This went on for a good part of the season. When I was waiting for the for what I was waiting for was the time when I had him used to it. That's exactly how it happened on that day. If we're talking about Chase, thought I would dive back at the third base in my as as usual. But when he threw over there, I was going the other way. He had tried to trap me too, once too often. Trying to fool Ty Cobb was like playing with dynamite. He was always a step ahead of his opponents because he played the game with his mind as well as with his body. Cobb was not a super player to begin with. He did not have great power at bat. He did not have great running speed, and he did not have a great throwing arm. He simply tried harder and thought faster than any other player in baseball. His genius was kind of insanity. I desired to beat you in anything in any way he could. Said a man who didn't know, did, said a man who had known Cobb well. Ty was born in Narrows, Georgia, in 1886. His father, who was a county superintendent of schools, wanted him to become a professional man, perhaps a doctor or a lawyer. But Ty loved baseball. As a boy, he was always dreaming up new ways to beat the older boys at games. It was not easy at first. Since the others were older, they used heavier bats than he had played with. Young Ty found it hard to swing at those bats around in, in time to hit the ball, but then he figured out the bat would be easier to control if he held his hands four or five inches apart on the handle. He learned to bat that way, even after he had become a grown man. He never changed his batting grip. By the time he was 17 years old, Ty had made up his mind that he wanted to be a big league ball player. His father still wanted him to be a doctor or a lawyer, and the two of them had many arguments about what the boy was going to do with his life. Finally, a minister who was a friend of the family took Ty's father aside. Look, Mr. Cobb, the minister said, Ty is just determined he's going to be a ball player. He's too good at, at playing ball not to be one. It's better to let him go with some approval than to have him leave home without it. Ty's father finally agreed. Early in 1904, the young Ty Cobb went off to play professional baseball. He proved, he proved to be a good judge of his own ability. By the end of the following year, he was playing center field for the Tigers in the American League. But his struggles weren't over. 
the great confidence and determination that helped him get to the big leagues could very easily have caused him to fall up once he got there. His new teammates on the Tigers thought he tried too hard. He got into fights early with his teammates as well as with the opposing players. Soon the other Tigers refused to have anything at all to do with him off the diamond. I hated them as much as they hated me, Cobb once told a friend. Later on, I was grateful for what they did for me by driving me off the office by myself. I ate alone, roomed alone, walked alone. What else could I do when I wasn't at the ballpark? There weren't many movies in those days. I couldn't go to a vaudeville show every night, and I didn't want to hang around the bowling alleys or nightclubs. And I wasn't much of a reader, so I'd walk the streets for a couple hours after a game. That helped keep my legs in shape, and when I was walking or sitting in my room or lying in bed before I went to sleep, I had plenty of time to think. And what else was I going to think about this? Think about but baseball, how to hit pitchers, how to play fit hitters in the field, how to run the bases. Cobb would always hated to lose. Now had another reason for wanting to succeed. He was determined to prove to his teammates that he was a better ball player than any of them. They gave him no help, of course. Usually when a player ain't hitting well, his teammates will come to him with advice and encouragement. But if Ty Cobb had asked any of the Tigers for advice, they would very likely have given him the wrong answers. When he went into a batting slump, Ty had to find out for himself just what he was doing wrong. I would remind myself, he explained later, to a friend that I could hit any pitcher in the league. But now, for some reason, I wasn't hitting them. They didn't have any more stuff they didn't have any more stuff on the ball than they had the last time I saw them. I my eyesight was still as good as it had been. I was standing at the plate the same way I always had. I held the bat for the same way, but I wasn't getting hits. There could be only one answer. My stroke was off just a little bit. I was hitting just under the half the ball. I was hitting just under the ball right in the middle. The solution was to meet the ball right in the middle. So whenever I got in a batting slump, I simply tried to hit the ball right back to the pitcher. That's all I tried to do. Just flatten out my stroke so that when the hitters, so that when the pitchers threw to me, I could hit it back to him. Then after a day or so, I was hitting the ball right on the right on the nose, and it wasn't going just it wasn't going past the pitcher. And I was getting hits again. The fans always thought of Cobb as a very low. The fans always thought of Cobb as a very fast runner, as well as a great hitter. 
Because he stole more bases than anyone else, the fans were sure he must be able to run faster than anybody else. This wasn't quite the, quite true. Although Cobb was a fast runner, even he admired that there were players in the league who could beat him if they were they ever decided to compete in a race. I looked faster than I was because I got the jump on an easy on an opposing player. Cobb often said, like in my stolen bases when I got the jump on the pitcher, the catcher had little or no chance to throw me out, no matter how good, no matter how good his uh, his arm was. I could have been slower than I was, and still in many cases, he couldn't throw me out. Cobb joined the Tigers late in 1905. He batted only 240 during the rest of the season, but never again would his career bat- batting average, never again would his batting average fall below 320. 1907, he batted 350 to lead the American League. And this is only the first of 12 batting championships he won. None of them in a row. 1911, he batted 420. Still 83 bases. Wow, what a year he had there, huh? Holy smokes. Next year, he came back to bat 410. 1915, he stole 96 bases. Everyone agreed that Ty Cobb, the Georgia Peach, was the player in baseball. But though he had planned, I'm sorry, but though he had proved to all the world as well as to his teammates that he was very, that he was very best, he did not change his way of life. And his life was baseball. He was always thinking of new ways to beat the other team. Old-time fans still recall the day that the Washington Senators had to play a rookie at third base against the Tigers because their regular third baseman had been hurt. Cobb decided to see how good the rookie was. He came to the bat and laid down a bunt along the third base line. The rookie rushed in and tried to grab the rolling ball, but he came up with a Fistful of grass instead. By the time he was able to pick up the ball, Ty was on his way to second base. The rookie fired the ball desperately in that direction. But his throw was wild. Sail into the outfield. Ty raced all the way around home. Now, Cobb knew where the senator's weakness was. Next time to bat, he busted the ball. He bunted the ball along the third base line again. The Washington rookie, eager to make up for this error, rushed in to field the ball. Once again, he had trouble picking it up. Once more, Cobb raced around first base and headed for second. Once more, the rookie threw the ball away. His top, his tie scored another run for the Tigers. The Senators manager rushed out the dugout and took his third baseman aside. Look, son, he said, next time he bunts the ball to you, just pick it up. Run back to third base with it. You might be able to head him off there. (laughs) 
Success did not make Ty Cobb any easier to live with. He had to win at any price. In dugouts around the league, the other players used to joke that Ty would cut his grandmother's leg off with his spikes if he stood between him and a stolen base. It made no difference to Cobb whether he was in a championship game or an exhibition game. He played hard all the way. In the spring of 1917, Tigers played a series of exhibition games in the South with the New York Giants. Cobb was at a peak of his career then, but the Giants had some very tough players. They were determined not to let Ty Cobb get away with anything. The first time he came to bat, the Giants pitcher ticked Cobb on the shoulder with a ball. They tried to first base, Ty snarled at the pitcher. I'll take care of you later. You try any funny business with me, I'll knock your brains out. The pitcher roared back at him. All the Giants began to scream insults at Cobb. Then Buckers, like your second baseman, dared Ty to try to steal. That was all Cobb needed. On the next pitch to the plate, he broke for second the Giants catcher, expecting him to try to try to steal. Threw quickly to Herzog, who caught the ball in plenty of time to make the tag. Then it happened. Cobb didn't even try for the base. Said he slid hard into Herzog, ripping the Giants' right leg open with his spikes, knocking him down. The incident touched off a riot on the playing field. Herzog and Cobb rolled in the dirt, clawing and punching at each other. Players, umpires, and policemen swirled around them, some trying to break up the fight, others pushing each other in their anger. Both players were finally thrown out of the game by the umpires, and the game went on. But the incident did not end there. That night, Herzog challenged Cobb to finish the fight in his hotel room. A few players from both teams were allowed in, and the door was locked. Take off, take off the coat and shirt, Herzog told Cobb. Stripped to his waist, the fight began. Herzog knocked him down with the first punch he threw. Then Cobb got up and punched Herzog all over the room. The players finally stepped in, stopped the fight to save Herzog from further punishment. Both players seemed satisfied with the fact that they had upheld their honor. Baseball was a very rough game in those days. Cobb continued to be the best player in baseball. For many more years, in 1922, at the age of 26 or 36, he batted 401. When at the age of 42, he finally retired from professional baseball. He left behind a string of records, many of which may never be broken. He stole a total of 820. I'm sorry. He stole a total of 892 bases. His lifetime batting average for 24 seasons in the American League was 367. But Ty Cobb, who played only to win, 
accumulated more than a string of records on the baseball diamond. He played so hard that he made many enemies, too. After he retired, Tom sometimes went out to the ballpark, gave young players a sort of advice he had never received. It was hard for those young players to believe that Cobb had always been a friendly fellow. It was necessary to have played against Ty Cobb to know that he was the toughest as well as the greatest player of his time. So Cobb went on to play for the Philadelphia A's at the end of his career. And the A's did really well. I mean, they they had a great team. They had Jimmy Fox, Al Simmons, Ty Cobb for hitters. And uh, they also had Eddie Collins, second baseman. Um, they had an awesome team. And I, I want to say they won they won two World Series with him. And, uh, but yeah, it's, they had a heck of a team. And they had Eddie Plank and Chief Myers, the Chief Myers, and, um, yeah, Eddie Plank, Chief Myers, um, and, uh, I'm sorry, but, uh, those are the, they had a great pitching staff. Um, they had, uh, they also had, Chief Myers is a catcher, by the way. And they had a heck of a team. So, I just surprised they didn't say that in here, but this is a little short. Anyways, you know, these, uh, Man, you know, and, and there's a, I was going to say too, is Tommy Lee Jones is in a movie about Ty Cobb that I, I watched. I thought it was really, really good. So you might want to sit down and watch it sometime if, you, uh, if you're being a historian for baseball. Um, it's really good stuff. You know, the guy too is, uh, that played for, uh, the, played for, uh, the ace back then was uh, Joe Jackson. And he he was a teammate of Ty Cobb's. And he went to, uh, Ty Cobb was down south and he went into a store and Joe Jackson's in there at the uh, register. Shoeless Joe Jackson. And they have, I think they have that in the movie, but it was outstanding. Other books out there, Charles Alexander has the Ty Cobb story, um, which is a good book. And um, the Ty Cobb story is really good, too. It's older. It's like probably about maybe, it's probably like 19, I think it's from 1950 or something like that. And the Connie Mack story has a lot of stuff on Cobb. Uh, you know, Cobb was, Cobb had some good managers, that's for sure. You know, he, he had, uh, he, he had Jennings, too, in, uh, Detroit. And Jennings was a character. 
he he was a uh, combo on stock in Coca-Cola when I first started. And that's where he got his money from. And he made a lot of money. But yeah, he was a, a he was probably like maybe like third or fourth person that that bought into Coca-Cola stock in the uh, in the early nineteen early nineteen twenties or thirties, but uh, yeah, that's where he was. He you know in Atlanta, he was at Georgia Peach. If you want to take a look at that too, I would. It was really good stuff. I like that 